We welcome you to the assembly. We have visitors with us. We're glad you're here. Certainly want uh, to appreciate the opportunity we have to now study from God's Word and open our Bibles together. Uh, in a world where uh, communication is so prevalent and there are so many people saying so many things, one of the questions sometimes that uh, maybe fills our head is that uh, with so many voices, whose voice should we hear? Uh, who should we listen to? Uh, because it's so easy for people, I think, uh, to uh, just uh, take whatever comes or at least to be undiscerning in terms of uh, who they listen to or, or to believe every voice that they hear. Uh, and what we recognize is that as we apply that to the truth of, uh, of uh, how we serve God, the spiritual truth, that there are a lot of diverse messages that are being presented to us around. Does anyone truly speak for God? Uh, and uh, who, uh, whoever that is, uh, how much attention uh, do we pay to that voice that speaks from God? I think that as relevant as those questions may seem to us today, that every generation of God's people uh, has entertained those very same questions. Ancient Israel spent 400 years in Egypt, uh, and many of those years they spent in Egypt were in slavery. And yet throughout that time, there was no direct voice from God. They were living there without the benefit of God's uh, direct revelation. God heard the voices of their oppression. He heard their cries for help. And it tells us that he sent Moses uh, to deliver them from their slavery. The book of Exodus, as it accounts to us, the commissioning of Moses and his job and his, uh, that he was the one whom God would uh, give the opportunity to, to lead the people out of Israel, uh, is a great treatise on the aspect of God speaking to his people. There's a lot to be seen as we've studied through even recently the Old Testament history of the exodus and God selecting Israel as his people and the, uh, the, uh, the work and commission of Moses about the aspect of religion uh, towards God and worship. But one I think the real key elements of that particular story uh, is that God was chose Moses to be his voice. That God chose Moses to be the one through whom he would speak Interestingly, when we think about Moses, uh, this prophet Moses spoke not only to the Israelites, but he also spoke to the pagan Egyptians. Uh, he spoke directly to Pharaoh. In fact, he was told to go to Pharaoh and speak to Pharaoh and to say what God would have him to say. But his convincing was not only for Pharaoh as the leader of this pagan nation to let his people go, but to speak directly to the Israelites to get them to understand that they had to follow God's direction that God was speaking to them as well. And what we see in that story that we're familiar with, God sending Moses to Pharaoh, God sending Moses to speak to the children of Israel and telling them what was going to happen, is that there were two very diverse results from that. That Pharaoh's heart was hardened against God's voice. What we see in the character of Pharaoh is the person who says, I don't want to listen to anything God has to say. Who is God that I should listen to him? And the other you see audience of Israel themselves were the people who finally came to realize that this is the only person we can listen to is to God. We have to clear out all the other voices and we have to listen to what God says and what he says through Moses. So Moses then became their leader. If they did not listen and obey Moses, there was no other way to be free. There was no other uh, plan B, no alternative route. It was either do it what Moses told them to do 
or not be delivered. That became very apparent on the Passover night when they were told to do certain things so that God would provide, provide for them the freedom that they would have and He would lead them out of the land. So their story of the Israelite emancipation through the books of Exodus and Numbers lasted through two generations and that particular question was always in view. Who do we listen to? Who speaks for God? And there were times in which Moses' leadership and his words were challenged. People even among God's own people rose up and said, why should he be the one? Why do we need to listen to him? Why should we heed his voice? There are other people that talk. There are other people that know. And every time that occurred, whether it was Miriam and Aaron or whether it was Korah in the wilderness, God made it very clear that I have one spokesman. I have one person to whom I'm revealing my will. You must listen to him. The admonitions of Deuteronomy that we've been studying on Sunday morning comprise Moses' last words to Israel. Phenomenal occasion when you think about who Moses was to the people. And what Moses said to the people, be faithful to God. He said, don't give up on what God is doing. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And over and over again, he rehearsed the word before them, hear, O Israel, your God. He is one God. Listen to what he has to say. And in the midst of those admonitions of Moses, the spokesman for God, telling people to listen to God, Moses reveals a promise in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So Moses established for... For generations, this aspect that he was the one who was speaking, having experienced all that comes with being God's spokesman at the end of his life, relays the words of God that contain a promise, and that is there is another prophet that is coming whom God will send, who is like Moses. And everyone who is going to be a child of God must listen to his voice, that he will be like Moses. He will speak in the name of the Lord. But there will be a very special accountability to those who do not listen to what he has to say. Now what we recognize in the study of the scriptures is that Deuteronomy chapter 18, the promise there that's given, became one of the most prominent Old Testament images of the coming of the Messiah. But as the Jewish nation anticipated that God was going to send a Messiah, one who would lead them out of oppression, one who would save them and provide for them, that that Messiah was the one who was also depicted as the coming prophet. And so although there were several prophets after the time of Moses, no prophet fulfills this prediction as completely as Jesus Christ. We recognize on this side of the cross, a New Testament revelation, that it's not difficult to pinpoint the fulfillment of this particular promise. Islam claims that Muhammad is the prophet like unto Moses, but if you look at the Bible, you realize that the Bible doesn't support that view. That there's one who came before Muhammad who clearly fulfilled all the, promise, all the characteristics of Moses in his work as a prophet, and who certainly was the one that everyone was to listen to. The New Testament apostles identify this one as Jesus Christ. In the second gospel sermon in the book of Acts, Peter rehearses what he'd said in the first sermon, and that is that Jesus died on the cross and that he'd resurrected from the dead. But then he talks about this aspect of the promise of the coming of Jesus, that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the word began. 
For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed among the people. Now, Peter is relating here in this particular place the promise that Jesus would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. That in speaking to a Jewish audience, one thing that had to be established is that the Jesus Christ whom you are to believe in is the one whom you anticipated. He's the one who said, who God said would come and therefore He is the one, you see, who speaks for God. And that's precisely what Peter does here. He goes back and rehearses before them the promise of Deuteronomy chapter 18. That Moses said to the fathers, the Lord will raise up a prophet from among you like me and you must hear everything that He says. He goes on to say, Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first God, has, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now those last lines certainly make it clear that Peter is saying that Jesus is the prophet that was prophesied about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. That he, that he was going to raise up this prophet from among his own people and that prophet would speak to you first. But ultimately the purpose was that all nations of the earth would be blessed through the words of this one who would speak for God. There are other clear evidences that the promise of Deuteronomy chapter 18 was fulfilled in Christ. You remember the transfiguration with Moses and Elijah present that the Father identified Jesus Christ as the one who they were to listen to. Hear ye Him. I'm pleased in Him. He's the one. Listen to Him. Now that's significant in the fact that Elijah and Moses were both there and God said, no, you listen to this one. He is the prophet. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So that Jesus is not only the prophet, He is the last prophet coming in the last days to give the final revelation of God. And so what is presented in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is a profound promise and prediction with a clear fulfillment in the time of Jesus and in the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the prophet of God. Now we don't often think of Jesus as a prophet. We think about the prophets and then Jesus coming afterwards. Or we think about Jesus as one who was over the prophets. We think about Him as we should, as Jesus is God, the Son of God, and the Divine One. But clearly what the Scriptures also teach is that Jesus is the prophet of God and fulfills that particular place and that particular mission in a very unique way. We, go, we just mentioned that Jesus, in Acts chapter 3, Peter said that all the prophets from Samuel and those who followed spoke of the days in which God would send this prophet like unto Moses. Prophets foretold then of the Messiah, the one who would come as the Savior, and also the one who would come as the servant of God. You go back to the words of Isaiah, and what we find is that there, the, the pictures of Je- the coming of Jesus as the Messiah are intermingled in some ways, or at least they are amplified in different perspectives. We recognize that, Je- that, the, 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 that Isaiah was one of the major prophets who spoke about the coming of the Messiah, and he spoke about the coming of the Messiah in the different roles in which he would play. He depicts the coming of the Messiah most emphatically in the aspect that he would be the servant of God. You know what Peter said? He said that God would, would, would send, raise up Jesus, his servant, to come unto us. And no doubt recalling the words of Isaiah that the one who was to come 
was not only to be a king and not only to be a savior, but he was to be in the images of Isaiah, the servant of God. Now we're familiar with some of the pictures of that. Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus was the one who came and he died for us. He was afflicted for our iniquities. He is the one who suffered for us. And yet in the picture of Isaiah 53, the the underlying perspective there that Isaiah is presenting is that this Messiah who was going to come to suffer was going to come to suffer serving another. That he was the servant who would suffer. That he would come suffering because God had called him to that purpose. That he was serving God by his suffering. Not only serving us, but serving the Father as well. So Jesus suffered to serve. Another picture of Jesus uh, as as the servant of God is Isaiah chapter 50. And in chapter 50, Isaiah speaks about Jesus as the prophet servant. That Jesus is coming to speak for God and he's going to do it as one who serves God by speaking. Now certainly that fits the picture of the prophets that have been chosen before Christ. The prophets that have been chosen from Moses on were those you see who would serve God's purposes. They would speak God's words. It would be God's plans and his itinerary that they would follow. And they would serve God in their personal lives. So the Messiah servant of God, pictured as a prophet who's preparing to do his work is what's presented here. That what we find, I think, in these words, we're going to read them in just a moment here, is that the, the Messiah seems to be speaking to himself, Isaiah relating the words, about what his job is and what his mission is and what his place is. And so he says in verse, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I will not. And I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he that will condemn me? Indeed, they will grow all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who circle yourselves with barks, walk in the lights of your fire and the sparks you have kindled. This you have have from your from your own hand. You shall lie down in torment. Now, these words may seem obscure to us, taken out of the context, maybe from the standpoint of understanding that Isaiah is talking about the Messiah. Or what's being pictured here is that the Messiah, Jesus, is speaking to himself in this prophecy about his mission as a prophet. That God sent many prophets unto his people. And the overall characteristic of the people's relationship to the prophet is that they rejected them. Not one time, but over and over and over again. That the prophets became a class of people, or at least a demographic of people, that were despised by the people of God, and that many times were killed and ultimately treated shamefully. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25. Since the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. 
We remember Micaiah who was smitten on the cheek and his prophecy rejected in 1 Kings chapter 22. Or Jeremiah who was imprisoned and put in a dungeon. The scroll that he had from God that would be given to the people was burned with fire. Ezekiel. God tells Ezekiel that they... What they when they when you speak to them it's like you're singing a song but they're not listening to anything that you say. Amos was told by Amaziah the king to go and preach somewhere else that you can't talk about that here. You're not going to give your prophecies in Judah. Jesus said that the Jewish fathers slew the prophets in Matthew chapter 23. Stephen in his address said, "Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute?" in Acts chapter 7. So by the time you get to the New Testament and the coming of Jesus, you recognize that this pattern is well established. That God sends a prophet to speak the word of God, maybe a word of judgment or a word of repentance or a word of encouragement or even a word of love. And over and over again, the people reject the prophet and they go their own way. And so Jesus comes as the prophet of God. The one who would come like unto Moses. What could he expect? what would portend to be his mission and how would it be, he would be received and so God said early on back in the time of Moses I'm sending one that you absolutely must listen to if you do not listen to this prophet you will be cut off from the people that there's an end to the message there's an end to the coming of God's word that Jesus will be God's ultimate prophet and he will not hold innocent those who reject his message And so what we find in this aspect of Isaiah chapter 50 is the preface of the rejection of the prophets, but then what is presented to us in these words we just read is the power of the prophet. You look at the the message itself, and four times in the verses we just read, it starts with the words, the Lord God, the Lord God. What's being established here as the Messiah speaks is that source of the power of the prophets is to come and the prophecies of the words is the Lord God. That when the prophet speaks, he does not speak for himself. He's not speaking of his own initiative. That there is a source of authority before, behind him and behind his words. And what's clearly indicated is that this servant prophet who is to come, Jesus the Messiah, would receive his message from the Father and that he was sent from heaven by God Himself. In John chapter 7, Jesus answered and said to them, verse 16, My doctrine is not mine, but He who sent me. If anyone wills to do His will, he will know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from Himself speaks his, his own, seeks His own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent Him is true, and no unrighteousness is in Him. Jesus went on to say, I know the Father like no one knows the Father. I am from Him, and He sent me. Now, the language is different. The Old Testament prophets that, that appeared before were very willing to say, the word that I'm getting, I'm getting from God. And I'm speaking the words that God has given me. Jesus said it more intimately. He said, I came from the Father. I and the Father are one. We stand together. And He has sent me to be the prophet. The power of the prophet's voice then what he would speak, the Messiah says, begins not with his mouth, but rather with his ears. In verse four, in, in, in verse four, he says, "The tongue of the learned, 
I, the, God, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Now what the passage is indicating is that the prophet's work begins not by what he says, but what he hears. That the prophet first listens to what God says. And as he's ready to listen to his word, then he becomes ready to speak the words of God. And so what the Messiah is saying is that I've been taught how to speak. I have learned how to speak the words of God by listening to the voice of God. He has given me an ear to hear as well as a mouth to speak. You know, over and over again when Jesus would present the teachings of the Old Testament to his own people in his own ministry, he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. You got a mind to listen to God? If you want to really do what God says, listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention to what the voice is saying. So the power of the prophet to do God's work and to please God begins first with his ear to listen to what God said. And so he says that the spirit, the servant expresses here that God, the Lord God awakens me morning by morning. The true servant does not quit listening to God's voice. He awakens every day to what God has to say. Now that's an interesting perspective when you put it in the idea of someone who's a prophet who is a prophet who is receiving inspired revelation from God that to wake up every morning and I wonder what God's going to say to me today. I wonder what message God's going to reveal to me. It had to be a thrilling thing, maybe somewhat of an apprehensive thing. But the principle remains true even to those of us who do not have inspired teaching given to us every day as we look into God's word and understand the amount of treasure that's there and that every day that goes by the word of God is relevant to that particular day that there's never a time as I listen to God's voice when I'm satisfied with everything that God has said and therefore I don't think there's any more that he can say to me that I do not lose faith in the power of the words of God to change me and to mold me to what God wants me to be that every day the word of God is relevant the scriptures say that the word of God is living that it is active that is not dead. That, that, those are terminologies that have to do not just with the aspect that God's Word doesn't ever go out of existence, but that the Word of God is always relevant to every circumstance and every generation and every culture. We live in a time when people think of the Bible as some antiquated book that has no relevancy to our world or that we live beyond, ultimately, the principles that are found in the Word of God. And that's simply not true. And the prophet understood that. And so he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. He is not as the fool who hears but has no desire to apply it, as that it goes in one ear and out the other. But he awakens my ears to hear as those who would learn what God would have to say. In the 119th Psalm, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You and through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. What the psalmist is saying, God, you're always teaching me. I'm always able to learn from what you say. And that's a perspective we have to take into the Word of God. Is that we're never finished learning from what God has to say. The power of prophet also is manifested in his obedient suffering. Verse 6, the Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. God gave me something to say and ultimately something to do. And what Jesus is saying in perspective here is that I did not rebel to that mission. God gave Jesus a work to do. 
He did not turn away from that. He didn't hide his face from the suffering that he would go through. It became evident in Jesus early on in Jesus' ministry where his ultimately his his destiny would be. And Jesus knew from the beginning, ultimately, that his ministry would end in his death on the cross. Yet he says, I was not rebellious. I did not hesitate at the commission. Even Moses himself shrank from the call, didn't he? When God said, Go, Moses said, Well, I don't know if I'm the one, and maybe not me. Send somebody else. And though Moses was a powerful leader and a submissive man, Jesus fulfills that aspect of submissiveness greater than anyone else. Jonah fled from the responsibility imposed upon him as a prophet. To go somewhere else outside my responsibility, away from the jurisdiction of God. But Jesus had no such disposition. He says, I did not turn away. In John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus then gave his back to those who struck him. He was an individual, you see, who was willing to go through the suffering and the scourgings that ultimately would come his way. In Matthew chapter 26, it describes some of that. The high priest arose, verse 62, The high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer me nothing? What does this men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under an oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. And they spat in his face and beat him and struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Do you see the irony there? Certainly we're able to take that picture and translate it from what Isaiah chapter 50 said, that Jesus would be one who would allow people to mistreat Him. He would not turn away from being struck. He would not turn away from their spittings and their revilings. But then at the end there's that little phrase that they, that they shout out at Him as they mistreat Him. Prophesy unto us. Who is it that struck you? You see, Jesus was the prophet. And they, in some ways recognize Jesus' ability to be the prophet, yet ridiculed it. Are you really the one who speaks for God? You can't even tell us who it is that's hitting you on the head. But the power of the prophecy that Jesus enacted was the fact that He was submissive to that suffering and obedient. And He was committed all the way through to the mission. Verse 7, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. The word disgraced there means to be confounded or perplexed, to be set off of the way. And Jesus would not be that way. It tells us there that He says, Therefore I have set my face like a flint. I know that I will not be ashamed. I'm pressing on because I know that God in the end, you see, will be with me. It tells us in Luke chapter 9 that now it came to pass when the time had come for Him to be received up that He steadfastly set His face to go to Jerusalem. Remember His own disciples said, No, no, don't go there. They're going to kill you if you go there. Jesus says, I'm going. It's for this hour that I came. And so Jesus is committed to the, to, to, to the mission that's before Him. He set His face like a flint because He knows that God is near Him and ultimately will justify Him. The idea of justification there is not in the aspect here of 
that Jesus had done something wrong and needs to be pronounced innocent, but rather the picture takes us back to the court where an individual gives a testimony and then from that testimony someone stands up and cooperates that testimony that yes, this is true. And God did that for Jesus over and over again. This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. Here is the one who needs to be talked, whom you need to listen to. And Jesus understood that being a prophet of God would bring about the opposition to people and challenge Him in His work. But in the end... God would validate the words that Jesus would speak because God would stand by him. His enemies would fade away like a piece of cloth eaten by the moss. So there's nothing left. And so, Jesus, uh, Isaiah says at the end here, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who listens to what the prophet has to say? Three piercing questions come out, I think, in these last verses. Who among fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of the serpent and who walk, uh, servant and who walks in darkness and has no light? Who is, who is that around us today? Again, Isaiah's words are pretty relevant. There are a lot of folks that are just exactly that person. They don't fear the Lord. They have no respect for God. They don't listen to the voice of God's servant and they walk in darkness and they have no light. Why? Because they do not choose because they do not follow what God says. It seems as though Isaiah in the prophecy in the beginning here in the, in the original text is looking for an introspection from his own people. You need to look and see whether or not you're really listening to what God says and you're following the prophet that I have sent. You need to rely upon God and listen to the voice that I have sent for you to hear. And looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment of that and the coming of Jesus it becomes apparent to us that that's what he's asking us as well. That we live in a world where people provide their own light. And you see that image in the last words here. You've, light, you've lit your own fire. You've kindled, you kindled your own fire. You walk in it. What's it going to lead you to? Ultimately, you'll suffer and lie down in your own torment because there is no light in the teachings and the thinkings of men. So, there is a voice. There is a single voice that we must all pay attention to and listen carefully to. Jesus says, My words are life. They are the spirit and their life. John chapter 6, after he gave a very clear and demanding exposition on what it meant to be a disciple of the Jesus Christ, to follow him fully, to be committed to him fully, it says there that people, the, 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 those who are listening to him says, this thing is so, it's so hard, who can hear it? And it tells us there that many of them turned away and walked with him no more. And he turned to his disciples and he said, will you also go away? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, Peter understood. This is the prophet. This is the one who speaks for God. There's no place else to go but here. Thank you for your attention. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Those are the words of the prophet of God. Those are the voice of God to those who are lost. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he rose from the dead. You must be willing to confess that He's the Lord and be repent of your sins and turn away and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins to be saved. Listen to the voice of the prophet, Jesus Christ, and come. While we stand and while we sing.